0: Baruch Spinoza wrote, The more you struggle to live, the less you live. Give up the notion that you must be sure of what you are doing. Instead, surrender to what is real within you, for that alone is sure. Welcome to the Soul Podcast. I'm Stacey Wheeler. In this episode, we're going to focus on all the changes that were happening in Europe that led us to where we are today in this modern spiritual awakening where we are re-examining the soul as if for the first time. Today, most of us feel the freedom to examine the spirit inside. And we're gaining a greater understanding of the way the soul plays in our lives and what that relationship looks like, perhaps like never before. And you know, every soul is unique and each person's specific journey with that soul and experience with it as we grow is also unique. Now this episode will have less focus on the soul itself and more really on the journey people were on as we made our way back to ourselves. I'll be talking a lot about religion in this episode, though. It's important to understand that this show isn't about religion, just the same we need to look at it to understand the soul's journey because it got stuck in this quagmire of religion going through the Dark Ages and into the Renaissance. Change was coming to Europe people were beginning to reject the church's claim to the soul. We could say it started as early as the 1500s with Martin Luther. In case you aren't familiar with this guy, this is not the modern reformer, minister, and equal rights activist Martin Luther King. Martin Luther lived about 400 years before MLK. In the early 1500s in what is now Germany, the Catholic Church got its first major pushback from the masses. You see, on October 31st, 1517, This small town monk known as Martin Luther marched up to the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany and nailed his 95 Thesis to the door. And what was written in the document, it's really not important here. What's important to know is that someone was standing up to the Catholic church and saying loudly that things had to change. Luther was driven by his frustration over the abuses of the Catholic church and his deep religious beliefs. And he called for others to speak out. Over time, this led to a split in the Catholic church and led to the spread of the Protestant faiths. This wasn't a small thing. Up until now, the Catholic religion had a virtual stranglehold over Europe. Any other religions that tried to pop up during this time were quickly crushed by the Catholic Church. And the Jewish faith, which had been around long before the Catholic faith, was under constant attack from the Catholic Church. So the idea of having freely the opportunity to choose whatever religion you want to practice, and having many options, was a new idea. I want to acknowledge that Luther is a complicated figure, and he was far from perfect. And we don't have time to go into Luther's flaws here. The key point I'm focused on is really that he was angry about the church's accumulation of wealth, abuse of power, and the way they stood between the people and their connection to a higher power. And he wasn't alone in this. He was one voice expressing what thousands upon thousands of others felt. His pushback led to the reformation of religion in Germany, and it spread from there. Many people broke off from the Catholic faith and created new sects of Christianity in order to worship as they chose. After hundreds of years of Catholic domination, this was a big deal. Now Luther was excommunicated by the church for questioning their authority. They weren't able to capture him, so they weren't able to burn him at the stake, though they probably would have liked to. After all, he essentially was a guy that helped break up their monopoly. As I mentioned before, there were many fewer executions by the church in Germany than other parts of Europe during this time. And Luther was in Germany, so that insulated him a little bit. Executions in Germany plummeted after Luther stood up to the church. People in Germany just weren't going to tolerate it anymore. The power of the church was waning in Germany, and the people were less inclined to help the church capture and kill their so-called enemies. And then new sects of Christianity grew and spread across Europe and further. At the heart of this was the notion that the church should not have the right to dictate to the people how to connect to their higher power and the spirit inside. No other factors were certainly involved as well. Luther's actions were the beginning of the end of the power and abuses of the Catholic Church. The monopoly was crumbling. Many scholars today see Luther's act as the first domino pushed. Soon people felt freer to worship in their own way. Freedom of religion was a revolution at this time. They'd never had this kind of freedom before. It had to be fairly intoxicating. And it was becoming important to people. It was a powerful force. In a few hundred years, the rallying cry, Freedom of Religion, would help launch the United States. Where once Catholicism was the supreme power in Christianity today, it's estimated that around 41,000 different denominations of the Christian faith exist. And it all started there. In the 1600s, things were changing in Europe, and these changes would be the start of greater freedom to examine the spirit inside people were better able to connect to their higher power without the approval of a self-proclaimed higher authority. But as we'll see, hundreds of years of oppression will change the words people choose when they talk about the soul going forward. I open with a quote from Baruch Spinoza. As a philosopher, Spinoza's ideas have been influential. How influential? Albert Einstein was once asked about his religious beliefs and he said, I believe in Spinoza's God, who reveals himself in the lawful harmony of the world, not in the God who concerns himself with the fate and the doings of mankind. Einstein said this hundreds of years after Spinoza's death. That's how influential he's been. So, who was Baruch Spinoza, and what did he write about? In 1656, Spinoza belonged to Amsterdam's Portuguese Jewish community. And in that year, he was excommunicated by them for what they called evil opinions and abominable heresies. It's unclear exactly what those evil opinions and abominable heresies were. They weren't specifically listed in his excommunication, but based on his later writings, I'd imagine his free thinking ways were surely part of this and at the core of the issue. The Jewish faith was no more open to free thought than the Catholic faith, but they weren't brutal in their punishments as the Catholics were. But something good did come out of Spinoza being shunned by the Jewish community and excluded from the faith. This led Spinoza to dive into philosophical thought and writing, and it wasn't long before he became notorious across Europe for his views on God, the Bible, the concept of miracles, as well as his defense of free thought. Ultimately, what drove Spinoza was his quest to answer questions like, what is the meaning of life and what is God? Much of his writing focused on how we can live a good life without the intervention of a God. His conclusion was that God is all around us in the natural world. Essentially, everything natural is a reflection of God. In his search for answers, I believe Spinoza had a soul reunion. The quote I open with touches on this connection and the idea that you can find peace and joy when you allow yourself to be here now. Again, Spinoza said, the more you struggle to live, the less you live. Give up the notion that you must be sure of what you are doing. Instead, surrender to what is real within you, for that alone is sure. Now, This quote reflects older Eastern teachings that being with your deeper self is where peace and joy is found. And as I mentioned earlier, we start to see how people are starting to find new ways to talk about the soul. They are choosing different words than those used by the Catholic and Jewish religions in the past, in order to talk about the spirit inside. As we move forward, you'll see how hundreds of years of religious abuses changed the way people talked about the soul, and it continues today, because the soul still holds a religious meaning to most people, even more than 400 years after the reign of terror ended. Men like Martin Luther and Spinoza paved the way for freethinkers that followed. Nearly 200 years later we see the birth of what we now know as the age of enlightenment. This began in Europe and spread to the United States and further. There were many moving parts to this movement which I won't go into here because they don't really apply to what I'm talking about. What I'm really interested in is the philosophic part of this movement. This was focused on advocating for society based on reason rather than faith or religious doctrine. Really kind of rebuilding the way we do things, looking at how we've done it in the past and how we can do it better in the future. It pushed for a new civil order, using natural law as the base rather than laws of man. Much of this was a reflection of the abuses of the Catholic Church, really a reaction to it, and their domineering over the people. And people were pushing back, wanting less interference in their lives. And religion was a big piece of life at this time. They weren't casting off religion. Many simply wanted the freedom to worship or believe as they chose. It's impossible for us to know how big a role the soul played in all this, but I'd like to think that the personal relationship with the soul was part of this push for religious freedom. We all seem to understand that there is an inner dwelling being. When we sit silently with ourselves we feel it. There's something. People of the time had been playing a game of tug-of-war with the church for hundreds of years over the freedom to connect with our deeper self without interference. The Age of Enlightenment matters because it is an interesting period of limbo after hundreds of years of people being persecuted for trying to connect with their higher self. During the Age of Enlightenment, philosophers dove into the deep questions about power structures, the meaning of life, the role of the church, and the state. And for many of them, through deep reflection, the road began to lead back to the soul. After hundreds of years of the church claiming to be the lone protector of the soul, The name, the soul, was now deeply associated with religion and God in people's minds. So the language began to change as people found new ways to describe the spirit they felt inside, outside of the context of the church. At this time, Europe had entered into what would later be called the Renaissance, and the power of the church had decreased from what it had once been. People began calling for kindness and tolerance. We can see this in the words scholars were writing down at the time. In the late 1600s, the English philosopher John Locke wrote, All mankind, being all equal and independent, no one ought to harm another in his life, health, liberty, or possessions. He's basically saying, stay out of my business. And he was living in the kind of world where he felt it was necessary to state that. In the late 1700s, the English-American political activist Thomas Paine wrote, I believe the equality of man, and I believe that religious duties consist in doing justice, loving mercy, and endeavoring to make our fellow creatures happy. People were redefining the role of the church and emphasizing personal happiness. And they hadn't completely forgotten about the soul. Around the same time, the English philosopher Mary Wollstonecraft was examining this thing we call the soul, and she wrote Surely something resides in this heart that is not perishable, and life is more than a dream. Though the church had been a roadblock for centuries, people were still aware of a deeper self and at least a few philosophers of the age were still trying to define it. Words evolve over time, and many writers of the 1700s started using the word soul in a more generic fashion. As I mentioned, it no longer meant a deep spirit inside the way they used it. For many, if not most, in Europe and America, the meaning became something more like our better self, or something similar. In 1712, Alexander Pope wrote, Beauty's in vain, their pretty eyes may roll, Charms strike the sight, but merit wins the soul. It's poetic and pretty, but it doesn't look at the nature of the human soul on any level. That's not what he's referring to. Instead, it uses the word as a placeholder for a sort of deeper part of us. And In the 1700s, when Thomas Paine wrote, These are the times that try men's souls, he wasn't talking about the soul. This had an effect on me personally, it created kind of an easter egg hunt of sorts i wanted to find quotes about the soul from this time but most of the quotes about the soul didn't include the word soul most are like mary wollstonecraft's surely something resides in this heart that is not perishable and life is more than a dream she's talking about immortality and ultimately the soul but doesn't use the word a lot of research followed and i came to a conclusion I concluded that the Age of Enlightenment was necessary for us to move to what's next, which is a greater level of religious freedom. We cast away the old ways to embrace greater freedom of thought. But the Age of Enlightenment was a classic example of overcorrection. We moved from one extreme to another, from deep religious faith in something unprovable to questioning anything unexplainable. Scholars of the time, I guess you could say, were a bit jaded. You see, the, the key feature of Enlightenment thinking was skepticism. Everyone was skeptical of everything. Okay, that's an overstatement, but you know what I mean. Here's a few examples. In the 1700s, the Scottish philosopher David Hume wrote, A wise man proportions his belief to the evidence. Around the same time, Immanuel Kant wrote, All our knowledge begins with the senses, proceeds to the understanding, and ends with reason. There is nothing higher than reason. For some, logic is the new god. The French Enlightenment philosopher Denis Diderot said, Skepticism is the first step on the road to philosophy. These guys were done with blind belief. They needed proof. Skepticism and doubt led the thinking of the time. The soul is intangible, and it had become a tool of the church. So naturally, there were reasons the big thinkers of the time stepped away from the spirit inside and relied heavily on logic and reason. It was almost like, prove it to me. Though many people at the time traded the old religions for new ones, Catholicism for some other form of Protestantism, some chose no religion at all. And this was finally an option. But there was still very little flexibility within the walls of any religious doctrine. The churches were still seen as the lone protector of the soul. Old habits die hard. Moving through the 1700s and into the 20th century, we'll see it didn't take long before new spiritual movements began where we start to talk more openly about the soul and examining the soul. I would say this started around the turn of the century when spiritualism started popping up. People started wondering about things, the things we couldn't explain. And this brings us into more modern spiritual thinking. For many people during this time, it's as though we're rediscovering something that has been there all along. And we're going through the same exercises people had done thousands of years before back when they first started writing about it and talking about this thing we call the soul. In the next episode, we'll complete the history of the soul. That's eight episodes. Thanks for hanging in there. This has been an important piece of laying the groundwork so you understand everything that comes later. After the eighth episode, things will change just a bit. I won't be doing these sorts of deep dives into history. We'll be looking more closely at ways to connect with and strengthen our personal relationship with the spirit inside. So, one episode to go, and then the ride really begins. In the next episode, we're going to look at some big thinkers whose names you know. We'll take a look at Carl Jung and see how he accidentally started studying the soul. So, listen to the next episode of the Soul Podcast, will you? Thank you for listening to the Soul Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, learned something new, or were just entertained, please tell your friends about the show and hit that follow button this is the best way for other people to find the show check the show notes for links to supporting information as well as any books or other reading material related to this episode